Welcome aboard. You are listening to Space Cadets. We are your hosts, Sinead and Kat. And we hope you'll launch into the mental health space as Bezos approved. I think we've I think we've kicked off if my if technology is not failing me today <laughs> yeah so we'll start off with an acknowledgement of country so we'd just like to acknowledge that I think we're both meeting on Ngunnawal and Ngambri land um and would like to pay our respects to elders past present and emerging and also acknowledge that um sovereignty was never ceded and this land was always was and always will be aboriginal land so welcome back to another episode on ADHD because we Ooh. have a lot of things to go through. <laughs> ADHD round two. We couldn't fit it all in one episode at a reasonable amount of time, so we thought we'd split it up into two. And because um, we kind of forgot to meet up and record this earlier yep. in the week, we're sort of going to do a two-parter. So today, we're, well, I'm going to assume you're going to be out at the same time. So today we're going to have two episodes uploaded. I don't know if we've talked about what the next one will be, but that's okay. We can sort that out later. <laughs> this is the problem with future Cat and Sinead. And by future Cat and Sinead, I mean Cat and Sinead like tomorrow. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're talking about okay. ADHD again. Yes. <laughs> I was just like, are you waiting for me to say something? No, I was literally just like, my, I've been having internet problems and I was like, is this me? Or like, am I good? Can people hear me? <laughs> but yeah, so we've got some questions that I think came from Instagram or Facebook, something. Facebook, mostly. Facebook. No one talks to us on Instagram. It's so sad. Oh, talk to us on Instagram. We're lots of fun. Um, that's why I repost all of everything onto my stories. And you can go and check out my save story that is just called Pods. It's just shit that I've reposted from the Space Cadets page. Um, but yeah. And I have a highlight reel that just says Space Cadets. So we can go there for anything else. Um, yeah. Also, the Space Cadets Instagram has a lot of like different highlight reels, depending on like what sort of stuff we put on our stories. So one of them has a v- advice, um, questions and answers, polls, etc updates stuff like that. On Instagram. yeah it was so cool <laughs> um so last episode we talked about our own experiences and we had the lovely Chanel come and visit us um and talk about talked about our experience with ADHD getting diagnosed our story that kind of thing uh today we're mostly going to just be answering some people's questions is that right Kat yeah, um, and also offering some tips and also just talking about things that some people have brought up um, in our DMs that aren't questions, but just sort of like topics of discussion. So we can talk about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Should we just get into it? Yep, let's do it. All right. So the first question, how do people go about getting diagnosed if they don't want their families to know? So. Um, in Australia, you don't actually have to tell your family anything. They can be like completely out of the loop. Um, I know that's the case in Australia. I'm not sure if that's the case overseas, but if you're, I think, 18 plus, they go, well, you're an adult. You can make your own decisions. Your parents aren't in charge of you. They aren't the boss. So you get a 
do things on your own. You get to go to the doctors on your own. You get to see the psychiatrist or psychologist on your own as well and seek therapy on your own. Your parents don't have to be alerted of anything because you're an adult now. Um, in terms, I know that this question came about because someone was concerned with, um, they heard that in seeking a diagnosis for ADHD, usually your psychiatrist confirms with your parents or like ask your parents questions, et cetera, trivia sort of thing to sort of find out whether you do have ADHD and finding out from their anecdotes. Um, that's not necessarily the case. You can involve your parents if you want to, but you don't have to. And I think if you have trouble sort of coming up with anecdotes of your own from your childhood, because a lot of people with ADHD are really forgetful. So they might forget some things that they used to do, but one way that I would sort of go about it is sort of asking my parents questions, very, very vague questions. I wouldn't tell them that I'm trying to seek a diagnosis, but I would go like, oh, like, was there a time where I did this? Did I forget things a lot? Um, was I just really, really distracted as a child? Um, what did my school reports say? Did they say anything that was kind of odd or something that I needed to work on? And then sort of figuring out from there what you can draw from those facts. And it also means that your parents don't know anything. It just seems like you're asking like, oh, tell me cute stories from my childhood. Or like you can ask them, when was I like a quirky child where you're like, oh my God, that's so cat being cat. Oh my because God. a lot of those things are very ADHD. <laughs> you'll find out if you do have ADHD a lot of your quirks are just ADHD symptoms yeah um and yeah just to like add more few cents on the topic my parents were not involved in my diagnosis at all um I just went to like obviously I suppose it's also a lot easier if like I mean I am over the age of 18 and I do live away from my parents I think that's a situation for a lot of people at ANU as well um, so like being in another state, having my own GP, being an adult, I was very much able to just go and be like, Hey, I think this might be the situation, stuff like that. And, you know, this kind of goes into the next question a bit, but obviously it's a very long, complicated process. And like, I think to say that you could hide something like that from your parents completely would definitely require effort because like I was, I was kind of vague. Like I said previously, my parents are like, have usually been very supportive, but I didn't know how they'd react to ADHD. And so I was very vague. I was like, well, you know, I'm talking to my psychologist about getting a diagnosis, but like some other things, because I think there's something else going on. And my parents are the, like, my parents were very like laissez-faire and they just kind of accepted that. They were like, yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, like you don't need to involve your parents if you don't want to, if you're over the age of 18. However, I am sad to report, I don't think this would apply to too many of our listeners, but if you are under the age of 18, they do require parental, like they do need to involve your parents. Yeah, of some <laughs> If, like I think mostly if you're going to be medicated because yeah. they can, like I, I remember from the time I was like 14 I think it is they said you don't actually like have to tell your parents about any specific diag like or like, at least my psychologist always said to me like I don't have to tell your parents anything if you don't want me to um, because I know that's the age of um, medical like independence or something like that that's the age where like if you're 14 or over you can go and get vaccines if your parents are anti-vax like without them informing your parents stuff like that but um to be prescribed medication if you're under the age of 18 they do need parental consent yeah and it's very very hard to sort of keep your medication away from your parents mm -hmm. um just because you have to take them every day sort of thing um and it can be very hard especially if your parents are 
don't understand like privacy or boundaries. Um, so if you're living with your parents as well, I think that's especially hard to keep things away from them. Um, but at the end of the day, you don't really have to get formally we advise that you do get formally diagnosed if you think you have ADHD, just because it, it opens up a lot of opportunities for you to seek help and seek support and access that support. But if you find it difficult and you can't actually go about doing that, like you can find a DSM-5 criteria online and you can just look at them, tick them off yourself. And if you range mostly into five, four to fives, so like the extreme end on most of the criteria, then chances are you probably have it. And like, I don't think self-diagnosis means that your experiences or your symptoms are invalid. Like that's not how it goes. And it can be very hard to get diagnosed. So don't think of a diagnosis as this is what proves it. Your symptoms prove it, you know? Yeah. No, I agree. I think self-diagnosis is such a like, in high school, so like my attitude towards self-diagnosis in high school is so different to my attitude to self-diagnosis now. Like, I think there's so many like barriers to being able to receive a clinical diagnosis, especially for something like ADHD, which can only be diagnosed by a psychiatrist and not by a psychologist or a GP, which like a lot of other mental health issues can. And so I think that like, like, yeah, I think self-diagnosis is like completely valid. You don't have to be told by a medical professional who often won't listen to women or trans people or queer people or people of color anyway um and yeah like I don't know like that's just kind of my yeah. but I think this kind of is like leading us pretty well into the second question as well um which uh for those of you who cannot read our zoom chat uh so <laughs> what is the process of getting a diagnosis like would you like to share Kat? Yeah, so for me, obviously, I think from our last episode, I mentioned that a friend pointed to me and was like, you have ADHD. So then I like researched more about it. I looked at the DSM-5 criteria and I'm like, whoa, my quirks aren't quirks, they're just symptoms. And that was interesting. So after that, I went to my GP and I told him about it. And then he referred me to a psychiatrist. So I was very lucky in that my GP is very pro, free and affordable service. So he found one guy in like Barrel who didn't have a long wait time. So sometimes the wait times can be like six up to six months or more. Um, I was lucky my, my wait time was like within a month. So really, really lucky. Um, would recommend doing a Zoom consult. Yes. Just because you get in much quicker if it's a Zoom consult than you would if it's in-person. In-person appointments tend to take a longer, have a longer waiting period. So if you can get in as soon as possible, Zoom consults are a great way to do that. Yeah. Um, obviously it's not in-person. So for me, because mine was a Zoom consult, um, I had to, fill, they sent me questionnaires beforehand to fill out. Fill those out. You just fill them out as you would fill out a normal form. Um, and it's sort of like the DAS test, if anyone has done the DAS test, which I assume a lot of people who think they have ADHD would have done the DAS um, for a mental health plan. Um, and then what you do is you're supposed to email it before your appointment. Did not do that, but it doesn't really matter. Um, and coming to the initial appointment, um, you should be prepared with at least some anecdotes that sort of showcase your symptoms. Um, and these anecdotes are much better if they're from like primary school or younger. So to have ADHD, one of the main criteria is that you need to have, you need to have 
exhibited these symptoms before the age of 12. And so because that's one of the main criteria, a lot of your anecdotes coming from beyond, before the age of 12, it's really useful because then they can go, well, yeah, you've exhibited these symptoms since then. Um, exhibiting symptoms in the present is also like having those anecdotes are also good, but they need to be supplementary to the ones where it's like before the age of 12. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those can just be like, for me, I was just talking about, um, oh, I like never listened to my parents, no matter how hard I tried. I needed them to write down what they said because I would forget what mm -hmm. I was supposed to do. I would, <laughs> yeah, That's unrelatable. And I would frequently forget to bring things to school that I needed to. And I would pack my bags the night beforehand. My parents made us pack out bags the night beforehand because I kept doing this all the time. And it got to the stage where they had to give us a phone or the front office knew my name and knew me so well. Like every time I came in, she's like, the phone's free, go over there. <laughs> because I forgot everything every day, um, important stuff. And I didn't want to forget the important stuff, but I did. And so sort of providing those examples, reflecting on school reports. So my school reports always said like, Kat is very dreamy, her head's in the cloud sort of thing, <laughs> that sort of thing. and sort of providing that experience some people recommend bringing those school bringing your actual school reports to your um, appointments because those can help but if you don't have them on hand like I didn't have them on hand so you can just describe them and that is valid as well yeah no I mean like yeah I actually I'm also going to share I think because I had kind of my process was a little bit different um, because I wasn't specifically seeking a diagnosis of ADHD. Um, at, like in August, I think of like last year of 2020, I just went through a period of like what I now realize was a combined depressive episode and just a really long period of really bad executive dysfunction. And like those two things like combined. And I was like, I know there's depression here, but I think there's something else funky going on as well. Because as soon as I got better, it was like, I was hitting the gym. I was doing 10,000 things a day. Like I was, you know, like getting all of my work done. Like I was so focused and I was like, there's something else fruity happening here. I'm not <laughs> depressed. <laughs> um, and so I went to my GP and I was like, Hey, I think there's something else kind of fruity going on here um and he uh, like this was back in August last year he this was the first GP I saw when I came to Canberra and he was not super helpful he was just like yeah we should get you back on a mental health plan because I decided not to renew my mental health plan when I came to ANU bad call don't do what I did don't think that just because you got into uni and now you're going to uni you're all better you're not I promise um <laughs> so I started seeing my psychologist again and kind of forgot about it for a little while and then I experienced like another period of like what was like I later realized was like super intense hyper focus and I went to my new GP who was super super good and I was like hey like here's the stitch bit fruity something's going on um but I don't know what it is and he made me fill out a bunch of things and he's like look you kind of meet like half of the criteria for both like bipolar and borderline personality disorder. And I was like, okay, funky. Um, and I was like, what about ADHD? And he's like, yeah, I didn't think of that. Like, do you want to fill out another one? And so I filled out the other one and he was like, look, none of these are to me like immediate, like I can't diagnose you with this. Like I will send you to see a psychiatrist. So he booked me with a psychiatrist. This would have been like January 
And like Kat said, I had about a five month waiting period, I think, to see. I didn't get to see my psychologist, uh, psychiatrist until May, um, which is actually like pretty decent for like a reasonably priced psychologist. And when I say reasonably priced, I still mean like upwards of $350 plus rebate. Like it was a lot. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah so like obviously and then I saw my psychiatrist I went in there and like I guess mine was slightly different in terms of like what I felt like I needed to prepare because I was like as much as I'm leaning towards ADHD and I don't think I have these two other like mental health issues I am not sure and I want to seek like a professional opinion because and so I went in and I was like here's the situation he also made me fill out a bunch of tests and he was like yeah you've got ADHD which I think is like kind of I guess like I was really lucky in the sense that like I was immediately believed in that, you know, like I was like, I think I might have this. My GP thinks I might have this. I will get tested for this. And then like the test showed that I had it. That is not how easy the process is for a lot of people. And I recognize that. Um, But the process as well to getting medicated was also a lot harder for me because I'm also on like antidepressants and antidepressants and ADHD meds interact in some way. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but like, Um, And so I had to like, because I've been on an unstable dosage of um, antidepressants, which is just because I keep forgetting to take them because I have ADHD. Um, (laughs) um, Like you have to like take your meds for like a certain amount of time before we can medicate you so that you don't get serotonin syndrome. Um, It was like a lot harder, but my getting my actual diagnosis aside from like, I I think in comparison to a lot of other people was relatively easy. Like, yeah, yeah, but I don't know. It's, still very I think still very worth sharing because like I've found in my life medical professionals really like it if you're like I don't know like here are all my facts here's my life please assess me figure it out yeah you figure it this is a problem now yeah so I started off with antidepressants as well um just because I thought I was depressed my psychiatrist is just like, bro, you ain't depressed. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, you don't exhibit any of the symptoms of depression, but what you do have is like PTSD depression, which is different from like major depressive episodes. Um, I think I do go through depressive episodes, but they aren't frequent enough to warrant a diagnosis. And they're more related to my PTSD, which I had no idea about. which is interesting, but like what was really interesting to me was that the antidepressants did shithole. They just made me super anxious. And I was just like, I hate this. So I stopped taking, you're supposed to wean off them. And I would recommend if you need them, wean off them if you don't want them anymore. But I don't like weaning off things. I just like stopping things cold blooded. So I stopped it like cold turkey and I had no side effects. Yeah, I experienced nothing. Everything felt exactly the same as when I was on them. I was just slightly less anxious. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? What's wrong this with makes no, it, it made no sense to me. So it's just like, clearly, I don't think I have depression, um, which is why when he said you don't have depression, I was shocked. But also I was like, this makes sense. This makes a lot of sense. I was yeah. like, this explains why my meds hadn't been working. And I didn't know if they weren't working because we were in COVID times and I would feel worse without them in COVID times. Or if I just, they just didn't work for me. Um, Turns out they just didn't work for me. And I was lucky enough to be diagnosed straight out from my initial appointment, even without sending him my questionnaires, because he's like, I'm going to write you your GP a letter right now, because I want you on Dexie's ASAP. That's why he said to me. 
And I was just like, wow, is it that obvious? And then I, I've been referring a lot of my friends who think that they have ADHD, who suspected they have ADHD to my GP and to my psychiatrist as well, because I'm just like, he's, un- he's under $300. Well, that's good. With rebate. Um, like, so additional rebate on top of that, which is really good. Um, and my GP is an amazing, incredible human at the ANU. Love him to bits. He's like my old Swedish grandpa, and I just love him so much. But one of my friends was talking to him, and it was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, my friend Kat, right? Yeah, like, she referred me to you and also to Dr. Eunice, who's my psychiatrist. Um, and then my GP was just like, oh, yeah, like, I knew this first time I met Kat that, damn, that bitch has ADHD. And I'm like, why has no one told me this? I mentioned it to a few friends after my diagnosis. And I'm like, I actually have ADHD. Isn't this incredible? Like, this is so out of the blue. No one had any idea. (laughs) And everyone's like, Kat, darling, did you really think you're neurotypical? (laughs) That sort of thing. Um, So after you get your diagnosis, so a lot of people need more than one appointment in order to get a diagnosis. Luckily for me, and I'm assuming you as well, initial appointment, Boom, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then what they do is they book in a series of tests. So they do like blood tests, they will do a urine test if you've taken drugs in the past, um, just to make sure that you don't have anything in your system currently when they try to get you onto meds, and also so that you don't abuse the drugs and potentially fall into serotonin syndrome, which is a really big side effect or problem that can come from taking ADHD medication. Um, so yeah, they just do a bunch of tests. And if you have heart problem, like a history of heart problems in your family as well, they get you to do an echo test, which just basically monitors your heart to see whether like you're prone to getting a heart attack basically, because these medications are usually stimulants. There are non-stimulant um, ADHD meds, but I don't know too much about them. And usually psychiatrists will prescribe you um stimulants um what's also interesting I think from my appointment was just sort of like wait no I was going somewhere with this (laughs) and completely forgot but yeah so like these medications are usually or they are black market drugs Mm. um so it takes a lot to get through the get access to them um I know in Canberra it's a little different to other states and territories so this is very Canberra specific but you can get your psychiatrist to give a permission code to your GP and your GP can have all the tests etc and then yeah. they pass these tests results your diagnosis and everything else to this board of people who get to decide whether you get access to these drugs or not and then if they say yes, permission granted, they give the permission code to your GP and then your GP can actually give you prescriptions. Yeah. No. Which can save you a lot of money, meaning that you don't have to see a psychiatrist every single time you need to get um, a script. But that's not the case in like New South Wales or any other state. That's just ACT because of COVID, I think. It's yeah. gotten a lot more lax. Part of it as well, I think, in the ACT is that like, there is a really severe lack of psychiatrists. like that's not as much of a problem in New South Wales or at least in like it may be a problem in like regional New South Wales I can't speak for that but at least in like greater Sydney and greater western Sydney it's not as much of a problem yeah 
Um, anyway, do you want to move on to the next question, Kat? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> we, we're flying through them today. We're doing great. Um, I love this. Um, I've been taking my meds today, so it's okay. <laughs> I have not. Don't tell anyone. Um, how do you get through ADHD and get meds when you have internalized stigma from your support systems? So in terms of getting through ADHD, um, you don't really need you don't necessarily need medication in order to manage symptoms. It just really, really helps. I think medication really, really helps with um, regulating your dysfunction, your executive dysfunction, and it doesn't help you with your time blindness. At least I haven't experienced it helping me with my time blindness. I'm still as time blind as I started off. Um, but there are ways that you can sort of manage how your symptoms impact your life. So having to-do lists, having planners, having a, a fuck ton of alarms on your phone can really, really help you manage your symptoms and make sure that you're on top of everything. Um, also having, yeah. I have like one secret trick for like my alternative methods to medication. I have like one secret trick. And I say this to a lot of people, like, cause it's not just an ADHD thing, but I sit down and I say to myself, you've just got to do it because doing whatever the thing is now is going to feel better than doing it later. And like, as like, and usually that will work because like, obviously the main thing I'm thinking about is assessments, but like, you know, like I'll sit down, I'll be like, I want to write an assessment, but like, I can't do it. I cannot get off the couch. Like I, I, I literally, I won't be doing anything else because I can't start the assessment because like, I can't start the assessment, but I can't do anything else until after I do the assessment. So I'm like, I'm just sitting on the couch, like staring into space. And I have to say to myself, Sinead, like get up, go to your chair, sit down. Like it will feel worse if you don't do it now. And that is like, and like, usually that will only get me so far. Like if I'm having a really bad episode of executive dysfunction, like I'll just stare at the open browser for like, you know, forever. Um, but usually that is like the kickstart that I need. I can usually just be like, look, like I, I, I know it sounds really shitty, but thinking about how shitty it's going to feel when you like don't do it is literally like the only thing that will, has like, ever helped me with executive dysfunction like everything else like time blindness and you know like like the you know like the other few things that like you know with ADHD like having alarms on your phone like I will need to you know like set an alarm for when I need to leave when I need to like brush my teeth like I need to like list all of those things out like all of that is like really really helpful when it comes to executive dysfunction and just genuinely not feeling able to do stuff that is the only thing that helps me is just yeah. thinking how much worse it's going to be in like five days if you don't do it now yeah that, and that's my secret trick I say to everyone I'm like this will help yeah so for me with executive dysfunction I feel like what helps me is by procrastinating doing related tasks so mm -hmm. it's a really new phenomenon for me but when I have something to do that I'm like super overwhelmed with and I just want to procrastinate because you always feel like I don't want to do this I want to do something else so do something else that's sort of tangentially related so like with like if I do my chores I fucking hate doing chores but when I do them I do them well so what I like to do is like with folding clothes clothes laundry the death of me but what I like to do is I have something playing with me at all times so I just like watch a movie while I'm like doing my laundry um yeah. if I'm doing my if I'm doing the folding up, which is the worst part about doing my laundry, because I can't just set and forget, I have to do it cont continuously and be active in doing it. Um, 
what I usually do is I go, okay, let, I don't want to like just do them all, like just one after another, which I feel like people who don't have ADHD do. That's just so weird to me. So what I do is I separate them into piles because I'm like putting things into piles is an easy job for me. So I just put them into piles of these are things to like fold. These I are my socks. Explain it, but it feels like making lists, and I love making lists. Yeah, it's like making lists, but with actions. So instead of just writing the list, you're doing the list. So I just put them into piles, and I'm like, okay, what's the easiest thing to do out of all these piles? I'm like putting things on hangers. I get to just chuck them on and then toss them in my wardrobe and boom, there's half of my clothes gone. And I'm like, okay, underwear, just fold them as they will. And I do them in sections. I think doing things in sections really, really helps with ADHD because at the because then once you're done with one thing, you're like, okay, I can tick that off my list. And it gives you that sense of accomplishment and gives you free dopamine. <laughs> Yeah, no, I literally, that's how I write all of my essays. I'm like, I will like have to break up an essay into like several like different sections, like even a paragraph. I'll break up into like the start of the paragraph, the middle of the paragraph, the end of the paragraph. And that's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just like setting it out to prepare yourself and get yourself like G'd up to do the thing (laughs) itself. Um, What I like to do is I write so many essay plans I actually like wrote down this gigantic answer for like an ANU confessions about how to like do things with executive dysfunction and I'm like boy do I have tips for you but like with essays what I do is I start off with a skeleton structure by skeleton I mean literally I just write down introduction paragraph one paragraph two paragraph three conclusion (laughs) that's all I write that's my initial thing And then I just section out how many words approximately I want in each section. And then I leave. Yeah. And then I put that to the side. And then I look at some of my resources. If I get bored of looking at my resources. So I have a resource list where I write down all the citations and then do dot points of like, oh, this is a cool part I can use as my in my essay, et cetera, et cetera. So I just like skim through. And by skimming through, I mean I look at the abstract. I look at the headings for each section and go, does this seem relevant to me? And if it does, I go into it and go like, where's the main point? Where do they say firstly, secondly, thirdly? And just write those sentences down um, into my citations list. And then I go back to the um, skeleton that I have. And then in that skeleton, I just like do little dot points, do everything in dot points helps so much with ADHD because then you can jump from one thing to another and come back to the first thing later and you can also restructure it easier rather than just writing out a whole paragraph whatever but you can just write out a whole paragraph if you feel a whole paragraph coming out of you and then just copy paste that somewhere else (laughs) if you need to. I find it so much easier to work through things by doing it like that. And also you already have your citations list. So it's easy to cite back because I think a lot of the time I forget what I'm doing and like where I got my information from. It's just in my head somewhere. Um, So having that helps you with referencing. I struggle that I struggle with that so badly that in my first year I had a tutor accused of plagiarism because I'd misreferenced something like I'd forgotten so what I'd done was I'd put like the citation in I was using footnotes and I put the citation in at like the bottom you know like I'd done like the one and then I put in like 
you know, whatever author in year. Cause like, that's what I'll usually do when I'm writing the essay. I'll usually just have to put in like the paper that I got it from, but then I'd forgotten to add that to like my reference list at like the end. And like, obviously, you know, it was like a first year course and I didn't get brought up or anything like that. But like, it is something that happens like to a lot of ADHD students I know is like getting accused of academic misconduct just because like they struggle with like referencing and remember where, remembering where they got things. Because like, I know that for me, like when I'm writing an essay, I will just like, word vomit out like a ton of shit that I just know about the topic and like try and then like back source it which I know is like like, you shouldn't do it but I just genuinely can't remember where I got it and I know I know so many other people who are like you clearly didn't get like like I've been really lucky and this hasn't happened to me but I've known other people who have got like had a professor say to them like you didn't get that idea from that paper and it's like well no I didn't but I know I got it from somewhere I just can't remember where and so like yeah I don't know like I could write like a whole fucking article on like ADHD and referencing like it's just yeah which is why I think like when you're looking through your sources themselves make sure that you have all the citations listed so what I do is I just write down the names of everything first and then go through each of them methodically and just go, here are my dot p- main dot points. This is what I think I'll get out of this. Or these are the interesting parts that I know are relevant to my topic. Um, it just makes it so much easier to reference. And that then if like multiple things refer- like have the same sort of content or like reference the same sort of thing, same sort of idea, you can add them. And then it's just like, wow, you clearly did your research when you didn't really pay attention to anything um, find that really helps for me and also just writing everything in dot points with each idea really 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 helps because then you can restructure it and you know that okay this is one general idea where can I find the sources that are related to it that I've already re- like looked at um, having the citation list as a separate document also helps with your bibliography and your reference your reference list at the end because you have them all there and with law we have to do this weird IVID end thing where we have to go, oh, if this is a repeated reference from something that I referenced earlier in my essay, you have to write like last name and wherever the citation, whatever number citation it was. So I do that in my citations list where I have another dot point that's inner so that it's separate from my thought process where it just says, this is the new citation for this for concurrent like subsequent citations and having that really helps with my bibliography list as well because it means that I can look through and go okay well these clearly have been referenced throughout my piece and these are the references I didn't end up using so I can delete them yeah and I think that really helps with exams it's just managing your time and because all of them are online now you can set alarms so <laughs> would recommend splitting it by total minutes by total uh, total marks by total minutes and so that you can go through each section and go okay this is how many minutes I should spend on this section sort of thing yeah I think my video is frozen but can you hear me yeah I can still hear you okay sweet my video is frozen I know no one else can see it maybe my video isn't frozen for you cat for me but for me it's frozen with like my this really weird face um (laughs) your face looks fine it looks beautiful Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I guess those are sort of our alternative methods, at least in terms of executive function, um, erasing internalized stigma. So this is a really, really hard one to do, I think. Um, yeah, just sort of addressing that 
the people in your life are anti-seeking help. Yeah, like I think, and this is about internalized stigma, yeah? yeah? Yeah. So sort of like telling yourself, well, this isn't a big enough deal or like I don't deserve this or I shouldn't have to rely on this as a crutch. So I know like growing up through high school, um, I've been told that getting a diagnosis and seeking help and support is being too dependent on a diagnosis and being too dependent on all these problems and not actually trying to solve things myself. So I think one of the th main things in this is sort of just trying to refocus your internalized thoughts and sort of addressing them front on. So this is where CBT would actually come in handy is sort of going like, well, why do I think like this? Does this feel logical to me? And a lot of the times we acknowledge that these internalized stigmas aren't actually logical and aren't actually rational, but it's sort of just trying to feel. increase, yeah, trying to increase the voice in your head that says, this is logical. And the rational thing is to seek help when I need it. And yeah. clearly I need it because I'm not excelling as much as I know I could. Um, and acknowledging that and raising that voice and amplifying that voice so that it um, drowns out the internalized stigma. I think that's the best way to go about it is just like trying to drown out that voice. Yeah. I agree. I think that like CBT, like I did CBT for my anxiety and like as much as there's obviously mixed reviews on CBT, like it did, like, like, it's, it's, it is a skill that I still use and do still, like, I think, especially when it comes to internalized stigma, kind of do rely on. Like, I think the hardest thing for me when I first got my ADHD diagnosis was coming to terms with this is something I will have forever, which is, like, sucky because it's, like, I don't know, like, it kind of reflected a lot of other internalized stigma I had about other mental health issues that I had, which is, like, you know, even though, like, I have had... I can't remember if it's like major depressive disorder or like severe depressive disorder. It's like one of them. Um, since I was like 13 years old, probably before that, but at least that's just when I got diagnosed. And like, I still think like six years later, one day I'm going to get better. Like, even though like I've been medicated to varying levels of success for six years for this. And when I'm not medicated, like it gets worse. Like, this is clearly something I'm not going to have, like, even if I have it for like, like I'm going to have it for a significant period of my life, but the, like the, like people always aim towards like recovery and getting better and, you know, like stuff like that, but not just the fact that like having to come to terms with like ADHD is something I'm going to have forever was like a huge, huge thing for me. And then like, I guess, like, I just, I go through like the five stages of grief with my internal stigma. <laughs> It's like I get like like I start out with like denial. I'm like, no, I can't have this. Like I I I go I go through this cycle like every few weeks. I'm like, like I can't have this. I don't have it. And I get to like anger and I'm like, I'm so angry because like I've lived like this my whole life and experienced this. And you know, like no one helped me. And you know, like the whole world's against me and everything like that. And then I go like to bargaining, which is like, well, if I like just try really hard again, you know, and like, you know, try and monitor my symptoms and get better again, like it will be different. Like this time it'll be different and then I like get to depression which usually coincides with like a bout of really bad executive dysfunction I'm like fuck then I get back to acceptance and I'm like I'll stop taking my meds again um, <laughs> which is like this cycle that I go through and like I guess I like I don't have a whole lot of 
I guess, advice on erasing internalized stigma, but just like I really struggle with it as well. And like I like I just kind of wanted to share that. Like I kind of agree with what Kat said. It's about challenging your thoughts. But you know, I like to talk. So yeah. And you don't necessarily have to be in constant battle with your thoughts either, because that can be really exhausting. That is very exhausting. And it's not um, something that a lot of people can do because if you're in that period of time where you're like battling that, a lot of times you're at a real low. Um, I think oh, something that has helped me seek support and seek help when I need it, it is sort of like equivalating um, mental illness with physical illness like if I go well if me having ADHD is like me without a limb mm. would I deny myself a prosthetic would I deny myself um, rehabilitation would I deny myself the support that other people would give me and oftentimes the answer would be the fuck no like why wouldn't I help myself when I know I can seek that help and why wouldn't I want to make things easier for myself when I know I can? Um, and sort of just reminding myself, like, Kat, stop being a dumb bitch about yourself. <laughs> like, you not seeking help doesn't benefit anyone. Yeah. You seeking help benefits you. It benefits the people around you because they know they can help you. And it means that your overall quality of life gets better, right? When you seek help, when you seek support. And when your support systems actually support you. And I think it's just really necessary to sort of like go, well, yeah, it's kind of stupid. Like it's not going to help anyone. And it does so much more for other people and for myself if I seek this help and if I seek the support. Because then I'm not going to have to, like if I do something wrong, I know what's up everyone else knows what's up and we can walk around it and if we don't acknowledge what's wrong then no one can do anything about it and that actually leaves everyone else worse off so if you think of it as like oh well I don't want to inconvenience anyone else well you're not inconveniencing them you're making it easier for them to help you and meaning that your relationships with them actually get better from it yeah like and also explaining this to your external support system so that they know how to support you and help you through that internalized stigma is something that I've walked through with my parents and sort of just reminding them like, hey, if I don't seek help, then it's going to be worse off for all of us. Yeah. Like, you need to help me help myself to help us all. Yeah. And just sort of thinking of it that way, I think, is really helpful. Just going like, yeah. If I don't seek help, that's actually worse off for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're I don't know if that will be helpful for anyone else, but hopefully it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess we can go on to the next one because yeah. we sort of addressed that. Like, okay, so this next question asks how to go about addressing time blindness, executive dysfunction, and motivation issues. Ooh, what are your thoughts? So I think we covered time blindness really well. Just have a lot of plan, have your planner on hand, have um, all your important dates either on a physical planner if you use a physical planner and keep it with you at all times, which I do, um, or have it on your phone and having alarms set every day, like the night before, set all your fucking alarms for the next day because that is so crucial <laughs> to yeah. helping you get through things. No, literally, I will, yeah, like, 
it's a whole plan like you have to be yeah I don't know anyway sorry I was going to say as well Google Calendar really helps me um because you can have it on whoa sorry zoom glitch um <laughs> um you can have it on your like laptop and on your phone and they sync to each other really well I find it easier a lot easier to use than like apple calendar because you can like I don't know there's like a lot more options that you have and I just really like it um but yeah I think we did cover timelineness pretty well the other yeah. thing about timelineness that really sucks is yeah I agree Kat I've never really like it, it had medication help with it like it's just kind of like I will be like writing an assessment and I'll be like oh fuck it's like the last time I checked it was like 10 and now it's like three in the morning oh well yeah well like um, the day around it's like 10 and then you're like oh fuck it must be at least three in the morning and it's like 10 past 10 <laughs> yeah I hate that so much and it's just really hard so having alarm set can remind you oh hey it's this time um, so if you have a specific bedtime, set an alarm like an, an hour beforehand so you can get like prepared and everything throughout. Um, just also what I like having is this timetable thing. I have a timetable app called Timetable. I think it's called Timetable. It's really pretty. Um, I have it on my phone just because if I have to make new meetings or anything, it helps just going like, oh, I have no idea when my classes are because I never do. Um, and just going on that app. And it also sends out reminders on my phone going like, hey, you have this class in like two minutes or something like that. So that really helps me. Um, having everything on my planner really fucking helps me. Putting all my assessments, I have an assessment guideline, which really helps me because I put down the dates. I put down the days because I don't know what dates correspond to what days and I don't yeah. know what weeks they're in. So having that all there and then writing down the corresponding week from like class really, really helps because then I can get go, okay, this is all on this day. Um, and just having an assessment guideline really helps. I have it on my computer. I made it in Canva. I can probably make um, a template of it if anyone's interested. Um, yeah, because I think it's really cute and it also serves as like productive procrastination, which I really approve of, where yeah. you can be like, well, I don't feel like doing my task. So how about I just make a list of all the tasks I have to do over the span of a semester and just see, okay, when can I like, oh, there's a whole week beforehand where I have no tasks, but the whole week after I do. So maybe I can plan out how I'm going to do it in the previous week. Yeah, no, I also, um, like my Google calendar, like I have like recurring events, like have like the week number and everything in them and like what I have due in that week as well. Yeah, because like, I don't know, like time, yeah, I don't know, like I struggle with it. I also have a calendar, like I, I love blank calendars. So like I have one, me and Azra have one on the fridge and it's got like week one, week two, week three, week four, and then the corresponding dates and days. So you can like write it all in yourself. I don't know. I know a lot of people who don't really like that, but I love it. It's so helpful. Um, ADHD thrives of having a routine that's already set up for you. So yeah. just making, I find that a lot of us are also really product, more, much more productive at night yes yeah and having a nighttime routine where you sort of go through okay this is what I've got for next tomorrow or something like that and just trying to cement that or anytime you remember actually just anytime you remember something and you're like oh okay do it immediately yeah 
write down on your hand what you were doing beforehand if that's necessary but just do things immediately because if not you will forget them or put a note on your notes app my notes app has so many notes about random things it has notes about this meeting actually and all like the things that I needed to talk about because I forget who messages me about random things so I just put them into a notes app and having notes on your notes app your notes app life savior I don't understand like if you don't have a smartphone this could be very 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 difficult it's a very difficult life to live get a smartphone <laughs> um I had something I was going to say on that but now I forgot it um okay. I was moving my book will come up eventually will come okay. up eventually yeah. um I think the last thing on there was like motivation I kind yeah. of We've, we already covered a lot of executive dysfunction I feel yeah I kind of touched on it as well with like literally my biggest thing and I say this to my friends as well who just like might be struggling like Azra for example who is right here hi Azra um, hey, Azra. Hey, <laughs> um uh special podcast feature um <laughs> um I say this to Azra as well like sometimes you know like when I'm struggling with essays I literally just say to myself I've got to do it like I know that sucks but I like I think to myself about the fact that like the reason I don't want to do it is that my brain really needs the dopamine. Like my brain is really low on dopamine, but doing something to make the immediate dopamine go up is not going to, you know, like make dopamine go up in the long term. So you've just got to force yourself to sit down and do it. Like motivation to me, it's a lot easier in that way to deal with an executive dysfunction because like, I don't know, I, I can never truly explain executive dysfunction to anyone who doesn't experience it, but like, even like, like the problem with executive dysfunction is like, I can do that and I can say that and I can sit down in front of my computer and I just sometimes still can't do it. Um, but with motivation, like, which can sometimes get confused with executive dysfunction, like even for me, like I, like that will usually like be the kick up the ass that I need. And I'll be like, okay, like, for example, I have this um, international political economy essay that I need to write that I just don't want to write. Um, but I know if I don't do it today, I just have to do it tomorrow and I have lectures to watch and a cheat to go to tomorrow and I don't want to do that. So I'm probably going to do it. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's just my my vibe. Yeah. I feel like doing something like that for me, because obviously people with ADHD have different ways of going about things and they have different priorities and different um, strategies can affect them differently. So for me, doing something like that would stress me the fuck out. <laughs> like tomorrow if I don't do this today tomorrow it's going to be even worse then I just get overwhelmed by going like oh no I know like I have to get it done today and the pressure really overwhelms me and I'm just like no I quit I quit life so if you feel like that too sometimes what I find helps is doing really small things that I know will help me but that also somehow it like it can be attributed to my goal mm -hmm. so like with the essay thing like I'm going through an essay right now that's due on Friday, a little bit stressed about it because I also have um, a workshop presentation thing to do. Like I'm doing a workshop co-facilitation on Wednesday. So I have like not much time to do either of, of them. Luckily the first one is a group project. So I'm not gonna be fully responsible for it, which is great. Um, but I love doing things for it because it procrastinates me and I can be like, I'm doing something productive. But regardless, like with this essay, what I've been doing is I'm just writing out my essay plans, all the things that I need listed. So it's based on this legal judgment. So right now I'm like sectioned out different parts of the legal judgment. So I'm like, oh, by paragraph, because 
this legal judgment has like 30 something paragraphs, 30 something, no, 40 something paragraphs. I'm just like going paragraph by paragraph just to be like, I accomplished one paragraph, good, onto the next one. And I'm like, ooh, I can just finish this section. It's not gonna be hard. It's only like three paragraphs and sort of splitting it like that. So like with essays, what I like doing is just going like, or like even with time things, I'm just like, okay, so I've got three hours to, I've got a three hours to do this thing. That's basically three one hour blocks and three one hour blocks is basically, um, <laughs> trying to do math here, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, yeah. oh, I've got like an hour to do this. That means 16 minutes. 16 minutes is just six lots of 10 minutes. It's, 10 minutes I can do. So I just finished the 10 minutes and I'm like, oh, just another more 10 minutes. Yeah, I, can just, I already did 10 minutes. I can do it again. Another 10 minutes. Yeah, no, that really helps for me as well. And so just like splitting things up into really, really, really small things or just going doing small things that are tangentially related to something really helps me because I can be like, well, I can do this. So I can do something that's equivalent to this amount of effort and just doing small bits of effort that accumulate to one big effort. That's the only thing I have on motivation. Also executive dysfunction also includes like forgetting everything. So what I like doing for like, if I forget things before I leave the house, which happens a lot, um, I put everything into this one bag. I always bring with me every time I leave the house. Yeah. So I put in all my relevant cards. I keep it in that one bag. I keep it in one spot. Um, and I keep that bag on the dining table within view of the front door so that Every time I leave, I'm just like, okay, grab this. Sometimes I leave my key card um, on this bench that's sort of across from my front door so that I can see it every time I go out. Have everything at the front door that you need every day and have it in a spot that you will see every day. And I think that really helps, especially when you're going out. So I keep my mask with my bag because I know I always bring my bag and just sort of creating that routine. Yeah. No, that really helps me as well. I don't understand people who can like change bags based on like their outfit or like their style. I like always have to have like one bag that I bring with me all the time. Yeah, I might bring other bags if I want to change it for style, but I always keep the one bag that has all my necessary stuff in it with me at all times. I think that really helps. Yeah. Anyway, there's some tips for you. We've got some, we've got some thoughts. Those are Shanae and Kat's thoughts on dealing with ADHD symptoms. Yeah. Um, we have so, some things we wanted to talk about as well, if that's not what you were going to say, Kat. That was what I was going to say. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Um, I think these are just things that people have generally wanted us to discuss. Um, not necessarily questions, just kind of general discussion topics. Um, but the first one that we've got is um, stigma in regard to like medication and things like that. Do you have any thoughts? No thoughts? So the main thought that I got, because one of my friends sent me this and it was a really, really, really long paragraph. It took me a while to read. Um, just because I was like, okay, time to steal myself up. Read one <laughs> sentence at a time, you can do it. And also like with reading research things, I just read one sentence and then scroll so that I can't see that sentence anymore. So it helps me yeah. keep, keep on track. Um, but in terms of stigma regarding medication, I think a lot of people reference taking ADHD meds as, oh, you're microdosing meth. Um, 
your microdosing speed. And so there's a certain illegality that's associated with taking medication. And so I think that really affects um, ADHD, especially um, in terms of wanting to take medication and fearing the stigma that goes around it. Truth be told, I think a lot of people don't really care or they go like, damn, good stuff. Yeah. You got black market drugs for like legally. That's incredible. That sort of thing. Um, but also amphetamines are a class rather than a type of drug, like a specific drug. So methamphetamine is very different to dexamphetamines because of the way that the structures of the molecules and whatever, mm. or the chemicals are composed. So dexamphetamines have a very, very different reaction to methamphetamines. And so just understanding that just because a type of medication is within a certain class doesn't mean it acts like every single other medication within that class. So I think a lot of people have the this trouble with like SNRIs and SSRIs where they equivalent all SSRIs are the same and they aren't. They all do slightly different things, but for the same purpose. And that's why they're within that class. Um, and that's really important to recognize as well, because if you have a negative experience with one SSRI, a lot of people tend to dismiss the rest of the SSRIs when they act completely different and they might actually work for you. Yeah. So just understanding that like classes of medication doesn't mean that they act exactly the same way. It just more so means that they act for the same purpose. Yeah. And I think that as well, yeah. like I definitely like, like to crack jokes about my meds and things like that. But I think one of the like real problems that like in terms of stigma that like especially younger people face is the really really wide use of like ADHD medications as a study drug and I think that you know like people like I don't know I don't know I whenever I talk about study drugs I always feel like no one else wants to talk about study drugs but like you know I, I I'll and talk about them with you you um I think as well like there's just this, and like I think there's this really, you know, like kind of widespread attitude towards study drugs as like, I don't know, like, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I can't quite like coalesce them into like something massive, but I know that like my biggest thing of like, you know, when like I talk about being medicated and, you know, like getting medicated, it's always like, oh, will you like give me, <laughs> give me meds? Like, you know, like, and I don't know, like, I think that yeah, it's like, I don't know, I can't really explain a whole lot of my thoughts, but I think a whole lot of the like stigma in terms of medication that like, especially for young people, like no person under the age of 25 that I've ever met has been like, oh, like ADHD, it's like, that's like hard drugs. But they're all like, I don't know, like more of the issue is like people who want to like, not, not even necessarily abuse them for recreational purposes. Like that's not really like a, something I struggle with. Like, I've never had anyone ask me for ADHD meds for recreational purposes, but like, just in terms of like, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I think study drugs is something that's, you know, like really interesting and it like, it does create a lot of stigma in terms of like people who have ADHD, like, oh, you get like these study drugs for free, but like, I don't know. I'm not one to like drug shame. I I, I don't know. I just think it, it can create a stigma for people with ADHD. And, you know, like if you don't, like if people with ADHD don't want to give you like, drugs or something like that like they're prudes and they're not you know like open to drug use or anything like that but you know each their own I don't really care what other people do with yeah. their life and like honestly they aren't free 
Yeah. Home education isn't free. It's like 30 bucks. <laughs> yeah. For a bottle. Um, and just because we get access to them doesn't mean it's easy for us. And there's a lot of sort of grueling questions that are asked within your initial appointment, which sort of ask you whether you're going to abuse the drugs or whether you're going to sell them. Yeah. Because there's a huge thing about young people that were automatically going to be drug dealers. Mm. You know, and that we are a free point of access for these drugs for young people who want to use them for other purposes other than to treat ADHD. And I don't think that's necessarily the case, you know. Yeah. And like that's something as well, you know, like the like the fact that there is a bit of a reputation for it means that, you know, like it is harder for young people to access like these medications that they like really need. Yeah. Like yes, yeah. they have to prove that they aren't drug takers or yeah, like, I guess I think actually, like you've put your finger on that really well. What I guess I was trying to say, like to like to be perfectly frank, I don't care. You know, like I am like I don't know. I grew up in a very like <laughs> drug friendly kind of area, and like I don't care if you want to like use like Ritalin or Dexys to study. I don't care if you want to like give your friends Dexys or. Uh, uh, Dexies or to study but like I kind of like the like the issue is that when people become aware of you doing that it makes it harder for people like me to get our medication and that's the thing I struggle with yeah it's that this image is coincides so much with people who are seeking ADHD help that it's harder for us to get help because like a lot of people who seek these diagnoses are then associated with people who seek these diagnoses for the purposes of just obtaining the medication mm, yeah and like I know from my initial appointment that that is a valid concern that my psychiatrist has that young people are a lot of young people are pretending they have ADHD and so that makes it really hard for people who do have ADHD but who mask really well to be able to showcase your symptoms because you're like, what if they think I'm faking it? And then they internalize that and go, what if I am faking it? Yeah. What if I'm doing this just to get drugs? Yeah, and that's something I struggle with a lot. <laughs> me too. I'm just like, do I want this just so that I can get drugs? And I'm like, the fuck no. Like yeah. then there's like, you know, the kind of internalized, like, I don't know if you get this, but I get like that internalized thing of like, what if really I'm just a drug addict? Like, what if, you know, like the fact that I can't live without this just means that I'm a drug addict, you know? And then I have to like go yeah. back to like, yeah, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. also, why would you be addicted to drugs that just make you calmer and more able to function? <laughs> like that's kind of sad. Um, but like the only case where I can see it be, being a little bit more valid to give medication, I guess, or act as a quote-unquote drug dealer is if you know someone else has ADHD, they don't have the resources to be able to seek a diagnosis, yeah. but you know they have it. And when they take the medication, they act calmer. Then it's like, well, this is beneficial for you and it's meant for you, people like you, but you don't have access to it. I think that's the only circumstance I can really see that being like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, like, like there's so many other study medications, study drugs that you can get yeah. without having to go through an ADHD diagnosis, which is grueling. Like yeah. you can get modafinil easy. Yeah. Like that's yeah. fine. You can get a prescription from it just going like, I have trouble studying. Boom. Yeah, literally. And I think as well, you know, like I, like literally I didn't, I think part of the reason I was kind of a bit afraid to talk about this was I didn't want to come off like I was shaming anyone for like, I guess like shit, like 
sharing ADHD medication because like that is how I have first gotten hold of ADHD medication with someone being like I think you have ADHD take this um Try and see how it works for yeah. you yeah <laughs> so like I don't want to be like oh you know like this is bad because I don't think it is I just think that like it's a very complicated issue and I think there are like you know like kind of boundaries that need to be respected and but yeah anyway we've been talking about this for a while we should move on yeah so how have ADHD individuals have like how have they been failed by the schooling system? So this question, to give context to um, this prompt, I guess, um, my friend sort of mentioned how it was really hard to adjust to high school just because, and to go through high school just because um, there's a different way that we learn, right? And a lot of the times the way that we function and the way that we're able to maximize our functionality and abilities is not going through such a rigid structure of learning. And so they mentioned how like in high school, a lot of the times um, the way that they showcase learning or they develop the learning of children doesn't really work for ADHD individuals. Um, they speak as this um, on behalf of like dyslexic and like ADHD individuals. Um, I think they're male identifying, so that sort of plays a part in it and the hyperactivity during class, et cetera, et cetera, and being claimed as disruptive or just needing a completely different educational curriculum structure. Mm. Um, I haven't really experienced much trouble with this just because I really thrive of other people giving me structure. So I don't know. I thrived a lot during high school because of that structure and because people were telling me exactly what to do so that I could just focus on that one thing to do. Um, but I acknowledge, obviously, there are a lot of people with ADHD who do struggle with the schooling system. Yeah. How do you feel? What are your thoughts? My thoughts? Um, my thoughts are again quite interesting because I'm somewhat of an outlier in this kind of area in that I went to a hippie school um, <laughs> that was very much focused on human-centered education. Same? Yeah. <laughs> did we go to the same school and not realize it? Um, <laughs> I don't think we did because we would have become friends immediately. <laughs> yeah, my graduating class also had 17 people, so. <laughs> That's really um, but it was very much like, I don't know, kind of like the teachers very much adjusted their kind of teaching methods to work for the student. And I was always like, again, a very good student. Like I got a lot of my validation through academia. So like a lot of my teachers really liked me, which me meant, too. That, <laughs> which meant that, you know, they were more willing to make adjustments for a student like me who like, whilst I did struggle with hyperactivity, it was like, you know, like I, I wasn't like, I was definitely, I was still the sort of kid who couldn't sit still in class. When I was like, okay, like side note, when I was in like year eight or year nine, I think something like that. Anyway, my school got these, like, um, we called them the ADHD chairs. They were called like, and so they're like these little stools and they like have like a rounded, like kind of bottom of the stool and they like rotate and like roll around and shit like that. And I really liked them and everyone made fun of the kids who liked the ADHD stools, but I liked them and I kept it to myself and I was like, I'm always, I always just sat on one because they, they took out like some of the ordinary chairs and like replaced them with ADHD. So there was always like some kids who had to end up sitting on the ADHD chairs. And I always was like, oh, too bad I'm sitting on the ADHD chair. I really liked it. <laughs> 
But um, my hyperactivity, aside from not being able to sit still, which I'm clearly struggling with now on this Zoom, um, (laughs) my hyperactivity was way more about like, was like talkative. So like, I just kind of got chided for either talking in class or like, I just talked to the teacher a lot. So like, I guess like my hyperactivity was like a lot more focused in a way that like teachers were willing to be accommodative of me. And also because I went to a school that was very much like focused on making accommodations for individual students, that was all so like played into it a lot but like when it comes to ADHD I've actually struggled a lot more in university than I ever did in high school um but I don't know if that's like a universal experience um so I think we just have a really shared experience probably why we're friends um but like (laughs) I was fine in high school I also went to a hippie dippy school that was really person centered um we also had support services which helped with students who had learning difficulties or just difficulties playing attention in class. But um, I guess, and also like a lot of our chairs were like chairs that you could move in, like they were flexi chairs. You could just like go back and forward. And I think this sort of prompt is more centered around like addressing schools and education systems being like, try and like provide alternatives for um, where they can get their hyperactivity out you know and having that um also just have maybe having like a transcript of this is what we're talking about in class so that if they have trouble paying attention in class they have a list and then they can reflect on it because a lot of times they are really hard working um especially in the schooling environment and just having that list of this is the outline this is the overview of our class they can be like okay this is easier for me to follow during class lesson plans at the start of a lesson yes Um, but yeah, if you stay on track and if you ever like zone out, you can zone back in and go, oh, this is the part they're talking about. And it sort of helps that relay response. Um, I think it's also helpful just having like things that they can fiddle with and like move around on. I used to really like helpful. blue tack. Blue tack was my thing in blue high school. Tack. Like, <laughs> yes. I made so many blue tack animals during high school <laughs> and just primary school. I used to just see how much of a perfect sphere I could get the blue tack into. Um, <laughs> but the other thing... I'd make a lot of those. The other thing that really helped me was like, so I'm all obviously like, I think this is quite common for people with ADHD, a very like visual learner, like to understand something and to get it into my head. I have to like read it. I have to see it. And like, I really struggle with like just auditory learning and like, I can't, like, I know a lot of people like with ADHD are also quite kinesthetic learners. So like they learn like quite hands-on. I'm not like that at all. Um, I need to know what something is before I can like do it but what I was going to say is like I would like something that used to really help me was I like having just like one ear like ear like ear button they didn't have airpods back then I'm so old um (laughs) um but yeah, like having one earbud in like would really help me focus and like tune out all of the distractions. And I didn't pick up on this. I didn't even realize I was doing it, right? But I had this friend in high school who like told me once, she was like, why do you have like an earbud in? And I was like, oh, I just like like it. I like, I think it's easier to focus. And she was like, oh, like you should tell the teachers about that. They'll let you do it. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> I used to like get in so much trouble because we weren't supposed to be listening to music in class, but it just helped me focus. And I was like, like yeah, anyway. So like shit like that used to really help me. I don't know if that's like a universal experience, but having one earbud or like now AirPod in really, really helps me focus because I've got like one ear that's like dealing with all of the like, outside one that's like tuned out and then I can like focus I don't know if that's like you yeah. but that's um, 
but I guess like the takeaway from this topic at least sorry is <laughs> that you'll I think like if you're struggling the best thing to do is have constant a constant and open line of communication with whoever's educating you so, like with teachers talking to them frequently I think really helps break down that barrier of like oh no I'm seeking help for a big thing if you go to them for small things as well it creates that sort of camaraderie and it makes it easier to talk to them later on when you do have issues and it also means that they know you and they know you're friendly etc cetera, etc cetera, and they know your personality outside of the classroom so that they know they can like vouch for you right when you're having difficulties they can be like well you're not like this all the time because I've seen you outside of these circumstances and I know that you need certain accommodations and it's easier for them to accommodate to you if you have constant communication with your teachers like like Sinead, I was a teacher's pet. All my teachers loved me. Even after I left, like all my brother's teachers, because they were almost always the same teachers, would ask my parents just about me. They barely talked about my brothers. They just talked about me. And it was like, what's Kat doing? What's Kat like? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but having that relationship with your teachers where you can go to them about anything is really important and fostering that as well. Um, I found university a lot harder than high school because university is bigger the teachers that you have like your educators have a million like thousands of people to accommodate to I guess and so when you get to university best thing to do get an EAP as soon as possible that's the best course of action just get an EAP as soon as possible what I like to do as well is I send my um course conveners updates like life updates as I go on, just in case like something comes up, like I go, oh, I'm getting a surgery in a week. So just letting you know in case something comes up. So flagging like potential um, circumstances where you might be struggling with your teachers, with your course conveners can be really helpful. I also like sending an, out an email to my course conveners at the start of my course, just going like, hey, this is me. Just letting you know, I do have ADHD. And sometimes I struggle with things and just giving them sort of a disclaimer to me in yeah. case that I forget things or I fall behind on stuff and keeping them updated on that and different circumstances which might affect my learning can be really helpful because they tend to be more accommodating if they feel like they know you right no just tend to be more accommodating if they think they know you or if they go like well actually I've been in constant communication with this person they've been really on top of talking to me about problems that they have so I'm more willing to give them concessions because I know that they'll keep me updated mm. and I think that's really important especially for university for high school for whatever that's really really important to have um I'm sad that I only really discovered it like last year or like the year before when I got into a car accident and I had to keep them updated on my progress <laughs> But I think it's really helpful. You can send it in like a group email where you have all your course conveners in the email so that it's easier for you to send out. But yeah, I think it's really important to keep them up to date so that they know, okay, I can track this particular student's progress because they're updating me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really, really helpful tool to have um, when you're studying. Yeah, no, I agree. And doing the same thing with your like workplaces with your boss, just keeping an open communication with your boss about anything that props up is really important. Yeah. And also just telling them when like things go well as well so that they don't associate emails with you going like, okay, what problem do they have this time? 
<laughs> no yeah that's a, a, a huge one for me I always feel like I'm bothering my boss or like my like course conveners and stuff like that I'm always like oh I'm sorry to be a pain but yeah no anyway but like they've got like so many students like the ones that reach out to them and make sure that like they're going well like I think that's really helpful for them because then they can assess like oh I know which students have problems because they come to me with the problems like you're yeah. they they don't have telepathy they aren't gonna like know straight out what you have and how to help you because you don't tell them like it's important to keep that open line of communication it also means that they recognize you right yeah. and they go oh okay this is the person who has experienced this or whatever um I know how to help this person and they're able to cater their help better because they know your problems they know what you're going through and they have seen the progress yeah no agreed and like I think that's something like if I could impress if there's anyone out there who is listening to this I don't know why you would be but if there's anyone out there listening to this who is not a university student yet that is like and like has no idea like how to navigate university like I don't know like like I said I, I think I talk too much about being a first generation student but I am a first generation student and I had like absolutely no idea how to navigate anything like that when I came to uni and I was like so terrified of emailing my first year lecturers I was like they don't want to hear from me like I'm bothering them I'm annoying them you know and like no like email them annoy them like they are there to help you at the end of the day like this is your education like don't feel bad about taking up that space like that is like the one thing I would say like if I can employ you to like do anything like take anything away from this podcast from like two university students one like at the quite pretty much at the beginning or like I'm halfway through my degree at this point I'm like halfway through my degree I'm like one at the end of her degree um that would be my advice please communicate with your lecturers they're people too I promise if you had a good relationship with your teachers in high school you can develop a good relationship with your lecturers yeah and even if you didn't have a good relationship with your teachers in high school what's to stop you from trying to do that now and yeah their main job is to help you you're paying them to help you and if they aren't helping you then you need to make them help you, I guess. And a lot of the time, from my experience with course conveners, they're very, very accommodating. They're lovely people. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, like if you have that constant communication, they know you, they, you aren't a stranger to them. And so if you ask for a request, they're more likely to give them to you because they're like, wait, I know you. And that just makes it so much easier for you later on, just setting up that structure to be like, okay, here's my structure of support. And like and everything. But when you fail and you can't, you feel like you don't have those structures, those structures are already in place for you. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is like, I don't know if this is correlation or causation, but like the one semester where I went to like office hours multiple times for each lecturer that I had um, was the best marks I've ever gotten at uni. Like, yeah. yeah, like even just like, I didn't feel like I changed anything massively about my approach, but like it, it, it really helps. Like, yeah, like, I don't know, as much as I, like, I, I know I'm just sounding like being an engaged student, but I promise being an engaged student will help. Yeah. And like, you don't necessarily have, to, I would honestly prioritize communicating with your lecturers and careful than trying to go, okay, I'm behind on something I should just walk through it myself and trying to go through all the lectures yourself I think it's better to have that communication because talking to people can really help you cement ideas or any thoughts that you have like I like that 
you can foster this sort of relationship where your teachers go, oh, if you want to talk about this, feel free sort of thing. And making use of those hours. Also making use of student advisors. I tried a few times, not great at this, but this is advice for if I wasn't me and if I was a different person starting first year, this is what I would tell myself because I haven't done it. And I know it's helpful is going to peer advisors, going to student advisors about things and asking them like, how can I approach this topic sort of thing? If you find talking to your course conveners and educators um, about things, and if you find that overwhelming, if you find it overwhelming going through office hours, I assure you sending them an email is a great idea. You yeah. can send up a follow-up email going like, just bumping this email, which is what I do sometimes because <laughs> I don't think they read my emails all the time. Or just like putting the priority mark is something I always do just to let them know that you actually want to be answered and you want to be responded to because sometimes they do get a lot of emails but like a lot of the time they are willing to talk to you and they want to talk to you because otherwise their whole days are just filled with research and doing nothing else like yeah, boring everyone needs human interaction I had a tutor last semester who I talked to a lot like he was we were like buddies and love Bernie uh, shout out to Bernie um but like I really liked how easy it was to sort of talk to people and also then they go like oh you haven't done as well this semester or like in this task can I help you because they know about you and they know your progress because you've been updating them I think yeah. that's really really helpful that's uh, we've just been talking about that one tip this entire time um but yeah so executive dysfunction tips okay so I had a list from this person called Blair. Thankfully, I wrote down your name because otherwise I would have forgotten. Wait, um, is, this, is this Blair Williams? Yeah, I think oh so. Oh my God, massive shout out. So cool. Lecturer in um, uh, gender uh, in School of Politics and International Relations. Very, very cool. Uh, did a bunch of stuff with Women's March. Very, very cool. Shout out. <laughs> shout out to Blair. We love you. Um, um, Ezra so, also gets a shout out. <laughs> I love Blair. Ezra also gets a shout out. Of course. <laughs> Help in the women's department. Absolutely obsessed with you, Blair. <laughs> um, so Blair said in trying to manage underlying, um, Blair said to manage executive dysfunction, it's better to try and manage the underlying stress. So a lot of the times when you're stressed about something, there's something else going on. And so trying to address the core of the issue rather than um, responding to the outcomes is a really good way to sort of mitigate certain executive dysfunction symptoms. Um, also, if you feel a breakthrough of emotion, go with it, go with the flow. And if you feel a certain way, just let it sort of pass through you. I think a lot of the time um, we have problems and we struggle with our ADHD because we're trying to fight things all the time. <laughs> And so just going like, okay, I accept this, I'm going to let it go through me is a better way of dealing with it because then you're expending less energy on it. And chances are, if you're trying to fight it, you're going to go through that emotion, but for longer, right? Because you're trying to fight it and you're trying to battle it and battling your feelings doesn't always help. Um, having a planning and organizing system for yourself, like we've mentioned before, using your phone for reminders and appointments um, would recommend... Blair recommends scheduling them ASAP. So if you've made an appointment or made scheduled a meeting, put it into your planner slash organizing system anyway. immediately. Yes. Immediately, regardless of what you're doing. As soon as you think of it, or if you remember it later on and you think you've forgotten it, double check, put it in. Um, 
it saves you a lot of hassle down the track when you're trying to remember what you've planned and having to go through your entire like chat history it's a lot harder um, and putting important things you need every time you go out together out together sort of what I said with um, putting my bag that I bring every time I go out with my mask said so I remember to bring my mask with me every time I go out um, that sort of thing and keeping everything that you need in the same pile. So things that are relevant for each thing together in the same pile. So I keep my planner slash to-do list thing in one book. It's a really cool book from this place called Mossery and you get to put in refills. So I've got that. And that means I've kept my planner and my to-do list together, which really helps me with organizing. I keep my glasses with my planner and stuff because that reminds me that, hey, study, do things, do things that are important sort of thing. And I keep my laptop with it all of these things in the same place. Every time that I move a location, I bring everything with me. So I've got like my pens and stuff. I've got my water. I've got everything set out with me. And if I move, I just bring everything with me because I think that really helps me go, oh, I've got everything with me. I don't have to go through to another place and break my concentration um, by forgetting things and then having to go everywhere else for them. So keep everything that is vaguely similar for a task in the same place. Um, also, achieving hyperfocus can look different for everyone. For Blair, it's using um, earplugs and complete sun silence and sunshine. Apparently, that really helps them. For me, um, it's having something on in the background because my mind's busy. And so what helps me personally is having something that's sort of like just white noise for me in the background really helps sort of neutralize the white noise in my head. Mm. Yeah, no. I. I so agree. Something that I thought of when I was writing out, I'm like, oh, that's why I do it. It's because it neutralizes the white noise in your head so you can concentrate better. Yes. No, like this is kind of what I was talking about before. For me, it's like background noise really, really helps me. Like I, like, like I said, like one earbud or like, I think I mentioned this on the show before, but like a TV show, like my, like my least favorite season of a really like TV show that I love, right? On in like the background making sure that I can, you know, like, yeah, anyway, because like, I know it so well that, and like with like music as well, like it has to be something you know well enough to like not want to listen to it, but it's also like yeah. something you, like you don't want to like actually like actively listen to. But anyway, sorry, I digress. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, I'm like the most focused in that. Like if I put two earbuds in, the music is too overwhelming. It has to be like one. Yeah, same. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. If they're both in, then I'm just like, so like overwhelmed by out. that one yeah so what I like doing is I never put in headphones I just have like a video playing or something like that that I know isn't that important to me that I won't concentrate on too much and I just have it playing on in the background usually it's like a YouTube video or like just like a Netflix show that I know is sort of like a sitcom so I don't have to pay attention to every single detail if it's a drama I pay attention to every single detail because I get things so much and I'm like oh my god where did we get here how did we get here um but like just having like something light in the background that just has that noise so that it can compete with the noise in your head and then neutralize it is really important for me. Um, they like complete silence. Um, and when it comes to writing, they find that they can get to that spot of hyperfocus. So hyperfocus, they explained, is sort of like a superpower of having ADHD is that you can like jam stuff out, cram stuff in, and then boom, you have a good result sort of thing within a short period of time. But you have these longer periods of time where you're not doing anything and you don't have hyperfocus. So for them, they think what's really important is 
trying to get to that spot of hyperfocus and trying to achieve that spot of hyperfocus so you can utilize it to your advantage comes to mind. So just word splurging, having like a document where you just splurge out thoughts and just keep writing. And a lot of the time when it comes to writing, one of the key tips is just to write anything that comes to mind. Yeah. And then looking through it and going like, oh, this is an important part or like, oh, I can jam these two together, that sort of thing and organizing it that way. It can be other shit. Okay, so they said it can be other shit, but it can help get the juices flowing and helps you read this reach the spot where you need to actually write something substantial mm. so just write it doesn't even if writing about a topic is a little bit too hard for you to get started just write about anything yeah to do with the subject maybe like if I'm writing about international relations just write anything I could like rant about colonialism and then be like oh I can tie this in or like oh this reminds me about this thing that's actually related to the topic and then writing about that um so to get to that spot in terms of essay writing really helpful to do that or you could just do what we said with like the essay structure and skeleton and then trying to flesh it out so I start with the skeleton then I try to flesh it out and then I provide a skin and providing the skin is just writing the actual essay so a lot of the time when I write out my points they tend not to be paragraphs and so what I do is I just delete the dot point so it becomes a paragraph and I'm like boom I've written my essay <laughs> and that's how I approach it and also every time I'm like, oh, I know where this thought comes from. I write down immediately where the thought comes from so that I can remember to cite it later. I think that's really helpful. Just word splurge. If you go, oh, I think it's easier to word splurge in dot points because it's easier to navigate through dot points than it is through a gigantic paragraph with different thoughts in it. Yeah. And so separating your thoughts is really helpful because if you want to go back to a previous thought, you can identify it easier and then you can just write off that. Or you can write like new dot points coming off that dot point, which are related, but aren't exactly the thing that you initially wrote about. And I think that really helps you tie things together and helps you plan better. Um, To-do lists can give you instant hits of dopamine rushes and yeah. make sure that you have, so it's important to make sure that you have things on there that you know you can do. So for example, like I know that I can drink water. <laughs> <laughs> it's a stupid statement but like if you write down drink water because you know it's a necessary thing for you to do and you know it's something that you can do easily you can tick that off easy and then be like boom already completed a task and I barely woke up yeah and you know like I think as well like for me I I always have to add like really stupid shit to my to-do list because otherwise I will legitimately forget to do it like I have to write down like um shower brush teeth brush hair get dressed you know like I mean I probably wouldn't forget to get dressed but you know what I mean like writing all of that stuff down genuinely really helps me actually like manage that yeah yeah and it also means that at the end of the day even if you've gone you haven't finished everything on your to-do list that you wanted to get done you're like well I did some of it I've done things today yeah no. um something that i find also helps me with to-do list is every time that i deviate from whatever i've i'm that thing down into my to-do list and then take it off immediately <laughs> because <laughs> i like to look back at my to-do list and if you feel discouraged being like well i didn't end up doing the things that i wanted to do today at least you've got a list of things that you have done that day and you're like well i didn't spend the whole day doing nothing okay. you know I've done stuff today and it reaffirms that like you're not unproductive you're not lazy you've done stuff 
that is important for you to do, but you just didn't realize it at the time of doing the to-do list. So it helps you in that sense where you're like, well, I've done important stuff today, regardless of whether it was on my to-do list to plan it at the beginning, I've done stuff and it's important. Yeah. One of my favorite phrases with that is I'm moving the goalposts and claiming the match, which is like kind of how I like to think about it. I'll like, you know, if I haven't done everything on my to-do list, I'll add in all of those like other small things that I've done for the day and write and like be able to cross those off and be like, well, I moved the goalposts, but I won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you've still accomplished things and that's really important to recognize. Something I have recently done on my to-do list, and by recently, I mean like yesterday I started it, um, is putting, like marking it when I've begun a task even if I haven't completed it, because some tasks require more than one day. And I get sad if I see it every day and it's just never ticked off. And I'm like, shit, I'm a failure because I haven't gotten this one task ticked off and I've been doing it for however many days. What I find helps me is marking it like with a dot, because I usually do crosses when I take off my to-do list into a box. So tasks are boxes and I cross them off. Um, if I've begun a task, I'll just put a dot in the middle just to be like, just because I haven't completed it doesn't mean I haven't done something for it. And like, I think that's important too. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna show you mine because mine's really, look at this. Oh, that's so pretty. Because you can't see it um, in our podcast. Oh yeah. I have bought this beautiful, beautiful planner thing. It's a planner door. So what's cool is that you get refills so I don't have to get rid of this book cover and I don't have to keep searching for planners because I can just get planner refills and put them in. Um, and what's really cool about this is that you can do a duo. So I've got two books in here mm -hmm. and one side is a notebook for my to-do list and the other side is my planner for this half of the year. I got this in like September. Can what? you send a link to that? That sounds really cool. Oh. 100%. Um, I love it to bits. I also bought like refills for next year's planners as well. I've kept the notebook just in case. I haven't bought more notebook refills just because I don't know how much, like how long it's going to take me to refill this. Yeah. Um, but it's really cool. Um, the planners are really, really cute. Like, look at this. So adorable. Um, you can get vertical and horizontal ones. This is a plug for Mossery. Um, they also have the monthly section and weekly sections and notes and they have aspirations and they have habit trackers as well automatically and, and they're really cute. So really useful, um, especially for me, I think. It's really useful just to have everything already in there, but also have it at a level where I can customize it still. And I got really cute stickers for it. So really love that. Um, I don't know where I was going with this. <laughs> we just plugged the planner. But just having something cute. Yeah, yeah, I'm just plugging my planner. It's really cute. Love having a separate to-do list. And with my to-do list, I like having a normal notebook for it so that if there are days where I don't do a to-do list, I don't have to feel bad about skipping a day. Yeah. But and yeah. I just write to-do list at the top and what day it's for. Um, yeah, and another tip that Blair has given is to find a community of people who also have ADHD. Um, yeah. Something to note is that people with ADHD or neurodivergent people tend to gravitate towards other neurodivergent people. people. 
Um, but yeah, it's really important to have that community of people with similar um, symptoms and issues that you have to foster that sort of like support network. Um, it's also very helpful if your previous support network, if your biological support network isn't really helping you and if they're stigmatized, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really helpful to have like a community of people around you who have similar issues. So for ANU students, if any ANU students are listening, which I'm assuming majority of our listeners are from the ANU anyway. I hope we have some ANU student listeners. I hope so too. Um, but yeah, so ANU listeners, we do have um, an ADHD community um, at ANU. It's called the ANU um, ADHD Collective, I think. Yeah. And they do daily study sessions at like 2 p.m., which is really cute. Um, they have a Discord where you can just like go on and study and try and get um, one of those study buddies, which really helps with studying as well for some people. I find it really hard to study with other people, so I don't do that. But it can be really helpful for other people. And also we talk about tips and tricks on there as well. Um, the community is also really, really friendly, really sociable, really cute. Um, pre-lockdown days they used to do like weekly A-H- coffee cups yeah yeah so would recommend joining that if you're part of ANU and if you're not would recommend starting one within your school within your university or school if you have one or yeah. trying to find out if you do have one because and asking through your disabilities department because usually they have a hand in something like that um, <laughs> yeah like you plug for Sinead disabilities officer um yeah and it's just really important to have that sort of community that understands you and understands the things that you're going through and can provide different perspectives on how to tackle things um but yeah like I said like we said um we tend to gravitate towards each other and I think that mainly comes from the fact that our communication patterns are so similar like we all love to talk and we all know that we all like to interrupt each other (laughs) Yeah, and we can live with it. (laughs) And we can live with it because we're like, well, you're like me. So it's a give and take. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times when I'm talking to neurotypical people, I'm so self-conscious about how much I'm talking. Um, But I never have to do that around people who also have ADHD because I know that they do the same thing. And we can just bounce off each other that way. Also, it's hard for other people, I think, to keep up with our train of thought and the way that we go through things. Yeah, because we yeah. cycle through topics fast and then we repeat the topics again because we're like oh I remember this one thing that I had that was related to a topic we talked about 30 minutes ago <laughs> yeah no I do that anyway anyway so we've been talking for quite a while but it like nearly two hours <laughs> it was like one and a half ish um but yeah I think that's most of what we wanted to cover today. Yeah, we've answered some questions. Feel productive? I feel productive having talked about all that. <laughs> I can tick something off my to-do list for today. Me too. I put down podcast recording as one of my things on my to-do list because I'm like, this takes time and I need to acknowledge that I spent that time on something. Yeah, no, I've got Space Cadets recording. So yeah, I think we should wrap up there for today. Yeah. Um, if anyone has anything else they would like to talk to us about ADHD, feel free to like DM us or anything and yeah. we can answer you directly because I think 
we should move on to other topics. We should. Following weeks. Yep. Alrighty. See you all later. Bye. Bye.